It's episode 123 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Brendan Way. What have you been up to since you were last on the podcast? Well, it's been almost 100 episodes, if you don't count the time I guested on episode 100 as the uh, Alex Horn to the Greg Davies that was Vic Hogg. Uh, Taskmaster reference. Uh, so, tell me about improv. It's funny, because like, you interviewed me within maybe the first year of my improv career, and... Very little's changed. Still in Duck Duck Goose, still in Parenthetical's, got very lucky. The first course I went to with Hoopla, bam, found a group. Started going to the first night, bam, they invited me to host, and then I'm still with them. I've stopped doing Duck Duck Tales because uh, I was inspired by a Katie Shoot uh, blog, which primar- primarily was my first early reading of improv once I was on the scene. And she compared improv to um, farming in that you should. Uh, you have many different fields and yields of crops, and some years you leave some farrow and in order to get them bloom. And I realised I was, with Parenthetical and Duck Duck Tales, I was having the same crop. I didn't have a varied improv diet. They were both narrative groups, uh, both at one point coached by Mike Hutchison of Glitch. And so it was very, very similar. And then so I was like, I just recently it came up that will have renewed enthusiasm for Dr. Tales. And it's like, at this point, it's been two years, I think I'll step away because I'm already getting my narrative feed with the uh, parentheticals. Uh, and it was an easy decision because I'm still going to see the Duck Duck Goose people I love every week. And like, they're, 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 my, uh, they're my family, essentially, because I see them week after week. We don't always have to be there, each of us, but we choose to be. And parentheticals are, I've gradually learnt... They're more my friends, they're more my theatre company. So whereas the uh, Dada Goose WhatsApp chat is quite popular and we'll have pictures of our day, mainly the parenthetical's one I've, I've kept it casual and it's mainly practical stuff like can we do this gig, uh, when should we next rehearse. And um, yeah, so those are, those are both the same, uh, except parenthetical's when you first chatted to me in 2016, we were about to do our first Camden Fringe. We've now done three of them. We went to Improv Fest Ireland. We did the Shoreditch Improv Fest under uh, City Impro. So we've we've done a lot more, and we're we're developing our own format. And this year, we just did our first hour. Oh wow! Yeah. Previously, the Camden Fringe 2015, 2000, no, 2016, 2017, we we had both our formats and then some short form games to bring it up. But this is the first time we did one full story for one full hour. Have you done that yet? No, I have not. It's it, it was really fun. And like knowing it worked was great. Um, we had like a structure. It's a narrative quest, the parentheticals, and so we had plotted it out according to the story circle, the universal template, the hero's journey, uh, and we it's short. It's narrative, but we also sneak in some uh, short form games. So at one point, like they go into a cursed forest, and that's a game of statues. And we've experimented with lines from a hat, which was uh, a story we turned into advice. And the first day we did it was a Friday. We primarily book weekends because that's when people go to see shows in August. Uh, but the theatre wanted us to be fair to also do a Friday. So we had to do like a 2.30pm Friday in wow. Camden. 
Yeah, it's hard, but like if people are having a three day weekend, they they'll you know they can leave work early to a half day. Yeah. And so as a smaller audience, we were a bit shaky. First time we'd done the venue, uh, the Etc. Theatre, which is a great little black box, 40 seats, uh, slanted, so we're the lowest thing, so everyone can see us. Brilliant. Yeah. It's the best of the three we've done. Mm. Um, the fir- first little shaky, we were exiting like physically backstage. We weren't like hanging in the sidelines, so that was clunky. And then the second... So after that, we had a long chat about how can we improve the format for next for tomorrow. And the next day was the Saturday, sold out show, a lot tighter, didn't leave the stage, stayed in the sidelines, we were able to be a lot quicker, we were a mm. lot more successful, and then, you know, the standing ovation after we announced that's our show, that not, okay, not standing ovation, but you know, the cheer, the, yeah. and knowing that the formula works, we've been fine-tuning, essentially since June 2016, but a long-form, long format that we'd finished and done into an hour intensely over the last month or so was it was so great to know that was what we've got and that's what we'll work on and take to other festivals maybe edinburgh 2020 just because 2019 like we want to find out what this is is it lord of the rings is it D? is it king arthur so we want to know what it is and then we'll be confident selling it and then that will help us fly it because flying is terrifying we mm. did brighton fringe this year and that's not so much a fringe where people know it's happening. Oh, right. And we were like there the first bank holiday weekend, which I thought would be okay. But like everyone was there, not interested in arts, going to a top room of a pub for an hour of improv. Um, so yeah, we really want to know this format now. And so we're doing draft two of it uh, at Christmas, again at the etc. So we'll, we'll, we'll put Christmas hats on the, on the format. But uh, <laughs> we're going to swap out some of the game, games and get in a guy who was on hiatus from the group. It'll be his first time doing it. Although, funnily enough, he was there on the Saturday show in August, um, and he he volunteered to be in statues. And he'd generally not been in rehearsals and played the game. He probably knew the premise because he's been to improv nights. But, like, he was one of the volunteers. And then I only realised afterwards, oh, we have a critic in, and he is on the poster. So if they take <laughs> one look at that for when they put the review up... Uh, they all go, oh, that was rigged. But uh, they didn't know us. Uh, they didn't like us, but they, they, they were still, it was still <laughs> great. <laughs> it's great to have them back. So um, talk me through, talk me through kind of the process of creating the show. Um, and I just want to mention that if I was performing in something that resembled a proper theatre, I'd be really tempted to, to do that thing where you just go off stage as well, but I can see how that can be really difficult to mm. be able to jump into scenes. Yeah, we were yeah we were like shuffling past each other. Excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, um, yeah the general format had been from June two thousand sixteen. It was a quest, uh, and that could be set anywhere. It could be contemporary. It could be it was whatever the object. Uh, we ask up top for the stage version and the if we're doing a twenty minute ten minute slot, we'll ask for an object, and that's the title of the quest for the blank. Mm-hmm. And then we ask for an opening location, which is not where you would find that thing. And so we're training for 15 minutes because that's what Launchpad is. That's what C3 Sundays are. Um, and then we expanded it to 20 and we were doing longer ones at Bracket Racket. And we just finished Bracket Racket um, in our venue. And we'll probably rest that for a while. And we did a preview version that was 50 minutes. Uh, but it was originally devised uh, by Kate Oswald and Nat Ruginis from the Parentheticals. They sort of structured it. So like hero scene, villain scene, sidekick scene, the, the classic template. And then in the rehearsal room, we tried 
see whether that flowed and like which scenes needed a lot of information which needed no information and with the games the adjusting it for are you acknowledging what the rule of the game is or are you trying to do a scene and does the game impede on us actually meeting these characters because they're too busy being affected by say statues um funny thing about statues it's the game that always works and having done it four times in front of an audience you just end up hugging (laughs) people just really love making you hug and then it's funny because usually only one of the people manipulating you is is doing the hug and the other one is not receiving it so they're just like arms by their sides then doing nothing towards the hug and that's fun to watch so you've, you've sort of hinted at it there but for people that don't know how do you play statues uh statues is the actors can no longer move they can still speak but the audio we get audience volunteers one each to gently manipulate the actors and it's a it's a nice push and pull between you as the actor have to respond to what is happening but say if your leg has been twisted in a weird position or your partner says look at that and you physically are not looking at that you can say i can't and that's another hint to the puppeteer that you're not looking at that so it's it's um you're you're influencing your puppeteer as much as they're influencing you Hmm. and that's a lot of fun it's it's the most it's the time when we most cede control and so and you say that the people um guiding the uh, improvisers and it ends up hugging in hugging because i've never seen it end in hugging before uh if it it not necessarily ends in hugging but hugging is part of it ah. um stroking faces is quite popular really? yeah um and then you just have to react to that because it's like the second scene it comes 20 minutes into the show we've sort of bought the audience's trust and it's a scene between the companion if if someone has decided to tag along and the hero and um so they barely even met each other, and they're stroking each other's faces, or fighting, or stroking, and then they've just got to react to it. Yeah. It's, it's the most involved the audience get through the show. We deliberately added loads of different ways they can get involved, because I've not seen a lot of hour-long shows, but I think the tradition is, title at the end of the show, beginning of the show, and then, then you shut up and watch and enjoy, mm. to an extent. And we were like, let's let's add to that so um as i said we tried uh, lines from a hat so at the beginning we had people write down stories embarrassing stories which both reviews this summer said they didn't really like or that was too long to work out um we obviously get the title we get two locations throughout the show and so we're, we're working on little games that can get the audience involved throughout so they're not just passive so with with lines from a hat, do you say you're getting people to write down their problems? We were uh, they were writing in the first draft. They're writing embarrassing stories. Embarrassing stories. And then we would have a guru scene, like the lowest point the character was experiencing. They would meet a wise person, the Yoda or whatever, or the ghost of their ancestor, and they would they would say, "Oh, I have some wisdom. I remember a story." And then we would read the embarrassing story and then extrapolate uh, a message from it. Lovely. And then the one time I did it in stage on the summer, I found it way too easy um every camera fringe we've done lines from a hand some form or another usually straight but this time it was weaved into the narrative i was just yeah i think i did three stories i was like yeah i can turn all of these into good advice (laughs) so it's not only just finding a game that can be put into the narrative without it like distracting the characters or um slowing down the story it's something that we'll actually enjoy because if we do this a lot if we say go to edinburgh and it's like a runner I don't know, half the festival, two weeks, or the full three weeks, like, we don't want to get bored. Mm. So, so you've got to be doing stuff that, that challenges you more, or is that...? 
yeah, challenges us, or it's a game that we enjoy doing. Right. And it's quite difficult, because every time, every Camden Fringe, regardless of whether we've been doing this format, we've been going, okay, so what's the short form in between our long form? And there are very few games that all of us like. Oh, um, really? So, yeah, so that becomes the, um, we find cheesy. And actually, one of the few improv books that I really like uh, is uh, it's the second edition of the Spontaneity Shop. Mm. The Improv Handbook yes. uh, by Tom Selinsky and Deborah Francis White, and it has in the section in the appendix bad games, good games, fun, fun and dumb games. Yes, it's uh, uh, that's one of the questions uh, I'm sure you're aware. Of, I normally ask. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I actually bought that book before. I um, uh, sorry, I'm just wary of the table. <laughs> you, um, you you landed that very softly. Um, just don't worry of the table. Normally, I don't let guests have drinks on the table, so you're, you're um, that's one of the things I say before the thing. Oh, yeah, you did not tell me. I did not tell you, you're right. But you landed that very quietly. I mean, in fact, in many ways, I wish I'd never mentioned it now. Yeah. Um, cut yeah. this or keep it in, because I know you don't like to cut much. I don't like to edit. I'm too busy, man. Um, yeah, so that... that um, yeah, I agree. The uh, that, that book is a really great one. It's one that I got before I started doing improv, because I like to oh. read up on things before I start. And then I went and revisited it after I'd done some stuff uh, in improv. And I understood it in a different way, but it was still really helpful and really interesting. Hmm. Um, it's tough with improv books because it's such a practical skill that it seems weird to read about it. And a lot of them are heavily anecdotal because it's the best way to explain what they're doing. Hmm. Um, so I know when I first read improv books, which was university, there was just like you know, a compulsory module on improvisation. And we read Spolin and Keep Johnston, and I definitely need to revisit them because I was like, yeah, it's just a typically flippant student going, why don't I read a book to do something that's so, so in the moment and on stage and like, yeah, weird reading explanations of the games. And mm. I definitely need to revisit it. But you see, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of an improv book, um, partly because sometimes it just makes. I, I think you can, you can learn, I think you can learn in improv mm. books, but sometimes I'll read a book and then when I'm in a class, if someone's explaining something to me, I might understand it more quickly because I've got some of the background from the book or something like that, mm. or I might make connections with things that I've read in the book and it might help me. So, you know, different people learn in different ways, but I know I'm very much, uh, mm. you know, I like to, you know, supplement the stuff I do in class with books as well. Well, I mean, speaking of that, the the best book for that was Katie Shoots The Improviser's Way because it is literally a workbook that accompanied essentially the course. I mean, mm. you didn't have to be doing the course to do it, but I did, and having the book was immensely helpful for like the two sessions I missed. I was able to go, oh, we talked about this. Mm. And the ones that I had been there for was like, I remember this, and I'm glad that this is in a book and I can remember it forever. So uh, reflecting on that, that course, were there sort of certain key things that you learned that, that changed you when you did Katie's course or um, what I liked is the first course I'd really done since doing the two ones for Chris Mead at the beginning of my improv career um, I'd, do, I'd done like a one-off masterclass with Scott Adsit which was him commenting on just basic scenes but like it was so nice having as I said to have found my tribe so early with Dr. Goose and Parentheticals it was so nice to come in as an individual to some people I sort of knew, some people I really didn't. And her, her course is very different to everything in Hoopla and Nursery and uh, C3 in that it is about you 
instead of about learning a set of skills or a set format. Mm. Um, so we're not learning about a play, how to do the long form play. We're learning about what formats do you want to do this week? Or this week is how would you plan the show you want to do? And I'd never really thought about that. And it was nice to have had, and there was one-on-one feedback sessions and you gave each other comments, compliments anonymously. It was really nice to remember, oh, I am, or learn, oh, I am good at this. This is the type of scenes I enjoy and this is what I could work on. Mm. Um, and yeah, we at the end of the course, we wrote some goals and I still need to work on them. I'd like to do more slow scenes, mm-hmm. uh, live in the moment. Uh, and I'd also like to, uh, within the calendar year, so it finished, I think, March or February, uh, I'd do a nursery's original. Now, there's a practical problem to that and that I work weekends. So mm-hmm. that stops me doing the run. But um, as soon as soon as I get that other full time job, yeah. Yeah, may, you'll see me more in the improv scene at weekends, and I'll hopefully do more projects. Mm. Yeah, I've uh, yet to do a nursery original, and there have been a few at the Hero's Journey. Uh, for you, that would have been too close to what you already do, I suspect. Yes. But for me, I would have really enjoyed Yeah, they are that. overtly doing the <laughs> formula. Nothing wrong with it. It's a fun formula. Taverns and dragons and knights and the chosen one. That's what we enjoy. Yeah. Um, and uh, Heather's uh, Jilly Cooper... Mm. Uh, one <laughs> it just makes me laugh is it just then. called horses I'm not sure no. but I can't remember what it's called horses would be a good I remember effort. the picture was horses yeah. um, it just really made me laugh just when I found it I thought do you know what Brendan I thought I'd seen it all <laughs> and then I saw that uh, they were going to do an improvised Jimmy Cooper and I thought I have not seen it all <laughs> there yeah. is more to discover no there's some really cool stuff happening at the nursery yeah, hopefully that will continue once they find a new place yes yes yeah no, maybe one day I'll direct a nursery original. Um, another thing the course gave me was um, some new collaborators, some new formats I'd eventually like to try. Um, you know, and I've taken Duck Duck Tales off the slate. I'm not saying I, I immediately need another group, but um, uh, I was bre- I was invited to be uh, from one of my classmates, uh, Fred Deacon uh, from Project 2. He does soundtracks. He formed a quartet, which became a trio immediately because someone couldn't make it. Uh, the J.J. Barnes Defense, which oh, was right. an anagram of the names Fred, Jess, Jen, and Brendan. It's a loose anagram. <laughs> uh, the other ones were Jen O'Hay, uh, Jess Williams. Jess is the one who can make it, and me. And that was an exercise we'd done in class of KT's, uh, devised by Craig Kikowski, Craig Kikowski uh, which was scene study, which is the second, you're, at, you're in the second scene of a play. Here's the title, here's the genre. I was the most comfortable I'd ever found doing improv because the second scene, or the se- no, the second act of a play, rather, there's no exposition. Mm. You don't need to establish anything. You just need to exist. It's clear you know the characters, and you can just have fun in that style. And so we just did, like, a 15-minute set of that at two Hoopla pre-parties of just, yeah, grab a title from the audience, do, do that, okay, next duo, another play, and then try and do a group scene at the end. And that was really fun. And also the living room, discover the living room, love it. It's mm. like the premacy stuff for Mando, but it's like the quickness of one joke so that you can have in jams. Uh, and I was invited to do Never Again with, uh, which is the C3 night where they, in their 8 p.m. late show, they establish, they pick people to captain teams of lineups which will never happen again. And uh, Vic Hogg from Dr. Goose invited me to be part of the living room. Uh, with people from her her side of the Wayfinders class. Uh, we were doing it simultaneously, but on like different days. Um, 
and we, yeah, we did a living room set, and then we did it at Duck Goose because we can book ourselves. And that that was such a that was such fun. And as someone who's really good at structure and callbacks and punchlines, I live for that sort of stuff. So the format I really enjoyed. And actually, my favourite acts, the Bareback Kings and Jack Lap Town, who do it but in character. I I really think that's a format that I could have fun with. So maybe I'll scout for a team or devise a, an original based on that. But that's possibly where I'll go next. But I'm in no rush to do it because I've got parentheticals wanting to expand their format. Dr. Goose is a weekly thing. And then obviously I've got Dead Drunk Detective, which takes up my brain for six months of the year. Mm, let's talk about Dr. Detective, as I call it. To someone in the lift. Yeah, to sure. In the lift. Uh, yeah, it's a hashtag not improv, still good. That's, uh, that's what I'm hoping that's going to catch on. Yeah. That hasn't, that hasn't caught on. Okay, I'll use it. Okay. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so this is not improvised, but it features lots of improvisers. Yes, and it was in fact hinted at in episode 30 of the Improv London podcast <laughs> when I said improvisers hate film noir and I'm going to make them do a film noir. So that would have been June 2016 and then I think we were shooting September, October. Um, yeah, I don't really like to like reveal stuff about projects until they're like halfway done or almost released because, you know, they can fall apart at the last minute. So it's like... I don't want to tease people to say this thing is coming and then it's not. That's the whole thing. There's, and also, uh, with writing, I think that you, I would always be wary of using energy that I should be used for writing to mm. be talking about the project. Once the project's written, yes. by all means, talk about it as much as you like. But mm. it's like, you know, if, if you can spend more time talking about something rather than actually writing it. Yeah, so I uh, the product. It's a Halloween podcast. It's a film noir crossed with like the Hammer Horror Monsters. Uh, so it goes out October. We record September October, and sometimes I have. We're on our third series. I have sometimes started writing the maybe November December after we've released it, just because I'm still in that zone and I'm excited of the possibilities of characters who could come back or actors who could come back. Um, so it is it's sometimes on my... I'm. It's uh, November now, so I, it is still on my brain. Um, I probably will take time away from it, and we've still got a Christmas special I need to give feedback on. But, uh, yeah, that, that sort of takes me through the year. Camden in the summer, Dead Run Detective after that, and then uh, Parentheticals developing the format in the background of whatever else I've got going on. It's quite nice to have a artistic structure to the year. Yeah, I, I don't want to fall into a routine though and I think the routine will be slightly disrupted next year just because I think we'll move our Camden and one of our team is doing something in Edinburgh on their own uh, in a different project so we won't have them for Edinburgh and that probably means that uh, never mind uh, yeah <laughs> so with with that's I'd quite like to explore the writing process sure. are you somebody that has to force themselves to write are you the sort of person that likes to have written or do you actually enjoy the writing process? Do you have a routine? Hmm. Um, well, because I'm ostensibly looking for jobs, I've said that for like years. Every every Christmas season, I'm like, this will be my last season in hospitality, and it's never never true. <laughs> um, I try to maintain Friday as my writing day before I go to work. So uh, I have a massive A3 uh, flip book. One half of it is murder mysteries, and the other is uh, Dead Run Detective. Uh, the murder mysteries is uh, 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 the parentheticals social. The, we have like twice a year socials and murder mysteries. Originally, they were ones we bought, and one of them us would host it. But we've moved into writing it just because we want to add like escape room elements. And the ones we had or bought 
uh, what we thought were flaws and we could make them better. <laughs> so like uh, February this year, I hosted my first murder mystery and last October uh, 2017, uh, yeah, the first one was written by Kate and Nat and that was phenomenal because it was like Halloween themed. Um, so that again is something how I may mark my years. Once a year I'll host a murder mystery, once a year I'll do Camden. Um, so yeah, on this clipboard, after an, an old season, I go, what did I learn this season about, like, production-wise, uh, scene-wise, uh, character-wise? Um, which actors have I not used? Which actors do I want to come back? I, I want to write, obviously, uh, Kate Oswald from Panthericals and Arfie Mansfield, uh, Mr. 99 from your uh, podcasts. <laughs> um, that's an excellent episode. It's probably one of my favourite podcasts I was listening to all year. Uh, it was very enjoyable to me. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're obviously the leads. Johnny stumbles the zombie drunk detective and the sidekick who gives as good as she gets, uh, Betty. Uh, I want to bring back every year Steph Prince who from Dr. Goose who plays Harry the werewolf. I want to bring back uh, Charlotte Kay from Bark and Bee who's Joe the bartender. Uh, Mark Johnson appears every season as some sort of weirdo. Uh, <laughs> this time it was a gargoyle with an ex- existential crisis uh, who was just... So that was a lot of fun to record him shouting in my producer's living room at like 9pm on a Wednesday. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a Monday, actually. I, I pulled two people out, Dr. Goose. Uh, Satan, Dr. Dan Luxton, my comedy partner, and also Dr. Goose person. He plays Satan. I like to bring him back. I try. I tried to bring back Mark Wheeler most times but he played a big villain and it was hard to bring him back this year so i didn't quite manage it that's the problem as the series goes on there's so many great characters i want to bring back and should bring back because they're in the ensemble some i want to bring back in different roles and they they can join the ensemble and then there are some characters who appeared like uh, we had lizzie mace and david simpson uh, david simpson from uh, jack town they played johnny's parents and they were a big hit and well they were fun to write and fun to see and they enjoyed doing it in season two it's like Oh, well, they need to come back. And we've also added, have a, as a regular, Leanna Wigginton from uh, Angela and uh, Angela and Leanna. I was, going, I was about to say Angela and Danny, which combines both their act name and their real name. So, yeah. Sandy and Danny, Angela and Danny, Angela and... Never mind. Leanna Wigginton is the, the sister. She crops up every season. So it becomes difficult because you want to bring in new people. Um... So, but a key thing, I never write specifically for someone. I write the scripts and then go, oh, who do I know in the improv community that I'd like to work with or who I can nail this part? And here's another tricky part. I never audition anyone um, because every scene is like one scene, you make a big impression, then you're out. So I'm basically, that's the criteria I look for. Um, But yeah, in between the seasons, list of crimes. It's very prosaic. List of crimes, list of mythical monsters I've not used. That's getting a bit more difficult three seasons in. Uh, like, I've reused skeletons, um, <laughs> but so far there's only one werewolf and one vampire. Um, then I, I cross-referenced them with something that could be obvious. So season one, we ha- I had theft and the headless horseman. What goes missing? The head. Okay, that's an episode. Um, and they're only about ten minutes each, so you, it's basically... Um, yeah, first, first scene, Johnny gets the, um, the, the, the information about the crime meets some witnesses, comes back, the secretary inadvertently uh, gives him inspiration, <laughs> and then he goes back to solve the crime and then has drinks back at the office. Um, and and we've played with, uh, I've, I've played with that formula just because I don't want it to be too boring, so um, 
this season, uh, most of it was him and Harry on a camping trip looking for Bigfoot as part of a crime. <laughs> see, see, I, as seasons go on, I am stretching the definition of what ghosts and ghouls are. So Bigfoot, I guess, is technically spooky. And in that scene, in that series, we also uh, skeleton pirates, which again is um, sort of on the borderline of what you'd expect in a Hammer Horror or Monster Universe. Um, and then I look for for an arc or uh, characters that could come back. Uh, Usually the finale is between a showdown between a villain we've met that season or something that's been teased. uh, And then I have to tease that throughout and look for a theme there. Um, I I was very much writing-wise, structure-wise, I was very much inspired by uh, Russell T. Davies' Doctor Who when, to give the appearance of an arc, it was not, every episode they'd mention, like, bad wolf or a planet that was been mentioned that was disappearing or the bees have gone mad and then at the end of the series that would have gradually been the tease to oh all the planets have been taken so because they want to forget what what did they want to do with the planets they wanted to make a laser no move something that's a very good question i remember the bees i can't remember what okay yeah because bees and planet was the same one (laughs) plan b (laughs) yeah talking of puns yeah yeah. You're quite good at puns. Puns are quite a big thing of Dead Junk Detective. Yes, it's yes, as well as being a genre spoof, it is also heavy on puns because I was very inspired inspired by the um I'm sorry I haven't I'm sorry I'll read that again. They always ended it was a radio sketch show with the goodies and John Cleese and um some other talented people. And I grew up listening to that in the car with my dad and they it was a sketch show and then at the end they do like a ten minute extended spoof of something so it was like a, so they'd have lots of puns and jokes and and so I, that was the sort of thing I liked watching so that's me emulating it so that's my best attempt at being on Radio 4 is a 10 minute extended spoof with puns and silly characters and voices so how do you get good at puns because I'm terrible at puns I can never think of a pun and I rarely understand puns when people say them you rarely understand them yeah I think well, they've said something weird I don't understand why they've said that. Why Why is everyone laughing? I don't know. Okay. Um, okay, so I, I ran a workshop at the weekend. Yes. And um, we had the suggestion of Pekingese. And somebody said, oh, I think I like, I like the ones with the ankles at the bottom and then the legs at the top. And the pun was, pick some knees. Yeah, okay. It took me a while to get that one. Yeah, okay. And I, and I just went, no, I'll start that scene again. <laughs> that that that's that's clever because um I think I read references last time. Uh, one of the best advice I got from a coach, Mike Hutchison, was don't start seeing on a joke because then you can't go anywhere. Yes. Um, don't but, start a joke. Don't start seeing on a joke that the person running the workshop doesn't understand. It's hard sure, to know. Sure, that's the that's the addendum. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the sub clause of that rule. Yeah, <laughs> don't be smarter than your teacher. <laughs> I mean, that's unfortunately all too easy to do when I'm running something. But, um, yeah, I think that's good advice. I mean, if it's much more, I, I find it much more satisfying to build towards the pun rather than to mm. start with the pun. But in jams, where you can have just one-line scenes, it's great. But, yeah. yeah, if it's in, like, a narrative, that would really screw over your partner. A two-person two scene, anyway, would just screw over your partner because they don't know what the joke is going to be. They can't help you in that. They can't heighten it unless they're... That's snappy. Uh, how do you get good at puns? I wouldn't try and force wit. Um, right. 
Because if I don't force it and just try and let it happen naturally, it may never happen. I, I wouldn't worry about being witty. What your partner wants, well, most partners, some, I, I want, uh, I'm more interested now the longer I get into improv and have to write wit into scripts. I like just natural, as I said, get into slow burn, just actually build a relationship and find something naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'm less interested as, as a joke off. I would like the ability to think of puns and then not use them. Ah. I mean, in some ways, that seems like a waste of my energy and brain power when I'm already doing a lot in the scene. But it's like, I'd like to have it there, but I'm just, yeah, I'm not using that. I mean, a good improviser will think of a million routes a scene can take and then discard them because their partner's done something else. So we're doing that anyway, even if it's not specifically of puns. So when you say, um, so think of, so you're, when you're improvising, you're actually thinking of different options that you could take and then discarding them. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I. Yeah, um, uh, I, I think again, Mike Hutchinson phrased it um, that your show has several doors, and as soon as you make a choice, you shut 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 the amount of options available, and that doesn't mean that those left aren't exciting, but it just means your brain is more focused because you now have just two options, and uh, you should neither is a good scene, but you just have to walk through the door. Yes, but I'm interested, and I might have misunderstood what you've said, but I'm interested, so you're choosing to go through one door. Mm-hmm. How aware of the other doors are you? Not not very. Okay. You, it, as soon as you realise, oh, my scene partner wants this, or I can take what they've said and turn it into this, then you ignore the other doors. And actually, that's one of the things that uh, really helps the parentheticals to have a loose structure and a genre is when we were doing open field, it can be any genre, any location, like a few of us are really type A, um, headsy people uh, who yeah get in their heads and then don't say anything because they're weighing up the choices. Once you say you're, you're doing a fantasy quest, you're like, okay, so I know what technology exists, I know what sort of characters we're going to meet, and I love all of those, so that will be exciting. Whereas if it's you're searching for scissors in in Wandsworth. It's like, well, okay, I could uh, maybe well, everything in Wandsworth has been stolen. And I have to go to Brazil, or or I could do a basic thing, which is just go to the scissor shop and I maybe meet someone interesting there, maybe interesting on the way, and that just paralyzes you. Mm. So it's it's good to shut those doors and just and just abandon it. I'm just sort of interested in because when I'm improvising, I am not very good at thinking up more than one option. That's probably good. Yeah. That's, that's probably the route to bliss. It's just... <laughs> as long as you don't let the one idea be uh, de- de- derailed by someone else. Yes. I, I think You're I, flexible. Yeah, I think I'm always listening to what the other person says hmm. and, you know, in building on that. Uh, it's not like I've got one idea and I'm going to do that idea regardless of what mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Um... But I, I was just interested because, you know, I'm interested. I'm wondering if other people, when they improvise, maybe they've got more brain power than I have, and they're able to have right. Okay, so there are three things I could do here. I'm going to choose this one because this is the most exciting, or most interesting. Uh, um. Well, I yeah, I can't speak for every other improviser. I I know I'm always open to any option. I think, and I'm 
tomorrow going I'm more used and open to that and not being scared of not having an idea mm. um, with jams I always find it weird when there's six or seven mixed ability mix of experience and no one steps forward even though you just need to say literally anything mm. um, so I need to get better stepping out even still even though I've run I've run a jam for the last three years and I ran one with Bracker Racket as well uh yeah no uh, yeah i it's i don't think the many doors option helps <laughs> well that's good because i don't have that um yeah and i agree with the having the confidence to just step forward and trust that something will happen mm. that something will come to you because um, i'm aware that i have about eight things that i say but one of the things that i always say is that if i waited for a good idea i would never get on stage who was it? I didn't recognise them. Oh, okay. We had a fan. I'm going to presume it's a fan looking in through the door. Yeah. Once again, thank you to the nursery for providing space for us to record and, uh, and uh, someone to come and look at us while we record. I don't know if the nursery have specifically organised that, but thank you if you have. Yeah, we're, we're now a zoo exhibit. <laughs> I mean, if it gets people through the door, yeah. then that's that's fine. Here's the podcaster in his natural environment. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your list, Brendan? Brendan, Brendan is always very organised when he comes on this podcast. In fact, yeah, and I mean that both times you've been on the podcast before, because last time, and I've said this quite a lot, hmm. you and Vic put more effort into uh, organising episode 100 than I put into the first 99 episodes. Sure, I mean, we needed a little bit of effort because I was reading a quiz. But yes, <laughs> yeah, we had gathered, like, audience feedback. Yeah, I looked at your notebook and all it says is the number and the date. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then, but then we know each other, so, like, <laughs> and you knew I had stuff to talk about. Uh, I've covered most of it. I guess I could talk about um, Bracka Racket, which I mentioned a few times. That was mm. the... We've, uh, since February 2016, the Parentheticals were running their own show, and we started as a f group performing in October 2015. So within six months, we were running our own show. But the reason we had one is we were 14. We were a whole hoopla class. If we wanted stage time, we needed to invent it. Yeah. And I think for all the groups that start straight out of hoopla, and a lot of people allow... Who FA and Hoopla are inventing their own nights. You, you just got to. It's uh, it it get it gives you a guaranteed slot every month or week or however often you do it. Um, you invite guests on, and if they have a show, they'll invite you back. So actually, for um, thirty two shows, uh, uh, one was at the nursery, uh, uh, but they were mostly at the Star of Kings in Kings Cross. Uh, we did a monthly show, and it was uh, act act, uh, break, our slot. And then a jam, which usually featured the axe, which is nice because that doesn't happen. It certainly doesn't happen to Dr. Goose. We like you to be in two-person scenes because then the less experienced jammers or the or the newbie jammers or anyone really gets to play a scene with, say, John Agapew, Francesca Reed, the people who have years of experience or who are really good and on top of their game. And they, they get to have fun with a partner who's really good. But we don't tend to put the axe in the jam because... Usually the jams are before or after their slot, so it seems weird that they get two slots. Whereas the bracket racket jam, uh, yeah, most of the audience is the axe or it's improvisers, so that's a fun time. Uh, the thing I learned about bracket racket is 
it's not Duck, Duck, Goose. And I think I was, to an extent, trying to make it like Duck, Duck, Goose. Like, the thing about Duck, Duck, Goose is you are hired as a host, and you, that also involves admin and setup, uh, and it's expected you'll present. Whereas um, parentheticals, I would usually present, but I would say, team, do you want to try presenting? Do you want to try hosting? And there were some who just definitely didn't, and um, sometimes, and I think they all tried it, mostly. Um, at the end, I, I realized, oh, it's, it's, I have to treat these as separate entities because this is, uh, whereas Dr. Goose, yeah, you have walk-ins from not regular, non-jamming, improvising people. Uh, where where Rakarak is under under the second floor of a pub, the basement. And there's no walk-ins. Um, it's people who have come specifically to be here, and they're all improvisers. So we neither need to walk through the jam or jam captain. They know tags and sweeps. Um, and we just decided to end it because uh, we the venue. It wasn't putting a lot of love into the room, so it wasn't really a performance space that was working for us. And also, we, we were 32 shows in. It's hard to generate momentum for a monthly night. Mm. Um, whereas a weekly night, I don't goose, you go, I miss one, then I can go next week. Whereas this one, every I was the only one really promoting it online because people are starting to leave Facebook as their lives get busier or the platform gets dragged down into irreverent, irreverent, it's no longer relevant. Uh, Rather than irreverence. Yeah. Irrelevant. It's quite irreverent. Uh, <laughs> so it's getting hard because like, as soon as the show was done, I had to start promoting it within the week again and get, get people to generate awareness. And then a week before go this week, we're doing a show and then start all over again. So it was exhausting for me because I was the only one doing it. And, we we we've been a thing since October twenty fifteen. So our fr- we can't we can't bring in our non improv friends. They mm. they we pulled in those favors uh, yeah, yeah, way yeah, too yeah, many yeah. times. And even Brighton Fringe, most of our guests were people who'd come from London to see us. So that 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 was bad. But um, yeah. So we weren't pulling the audience. We were uh, it was so and that's fine. You can perform to just other improvisers, but you you want to do the public. <laughs> Yeah. And also, parentheticals, including myself, weren't used to uh, hosting the show and then having to switch into, okay, now it's our time to go. So um, we'd warm up pre-show, and then, as I said, our slot was after the interval. So, like, we weren't necessarily doing the best work improv-wise we were proud of. So whereas mm. the acts were great and the jam is great, we always had it as a palate cleanser for a, if we had a quote-unquote bad time in the improv, uh, we could go, well, now I can be good in the jam. Um, it's nice to have that immediate uh, refreshment as opposed to, you know, doing a bad jam on Monday and then going, well, I have to wait till Thursday or Wednesday to do good improv again. Um, so it was just getting less fun. Um, and we'd rather just work on uh, on the, the, the big format. And unlike Dr. Goose, who mainly pursue uh, other improv projects, the other parentheticals have other non-improv interests, which wow. is which is healthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, LARPing, Burning Man, uh, somewhere in musicals, someone's writing a book. Like they and and they mostly have long-term partners and husbands and stuff. So it's like they've got our stuff to demand on their time. Where am I? I'm all improv, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and for once a year, a murder mystery, and once a year, a series of dead drunk detectives. So, <laughs> I understand why their enthusiasm waned and the pressure on me to promote it was, well, not pressure, but, like, I was obligated to do it. And yeah. it was just, it was less fun. And, uh, yeah, we, the show we were serving, no, the show serves us. We don't serve the show. Yes, we exactly. Didn't, 
And so our, our obligation, like I book, we block booked in advance uh, up till November. So yeah, last week or so we were like, this is the last one. We might move to a different venue that we love more, but at the moment this isn't the best use of our time. Yeah. And it was odd because as I said, I since since the last podcast, I'm still in Dada Goose. I'm still in Parentheticals. Obviously, I left Tails, but that's sort of a half group, which brings together whenever you need a gig, um, whenever there's a gig available, rather. Uh, it's not something we actively pursue week to week. Um, so this is the first time I ended something on my terms in my, my time in London, just improvise or anywhere. Mm. So it was really, really strange. Um, we're surrounded by a lot of regular jammers and and friends and good acts so, but it was it's odd i am um, as the antithesis to improv i was thinking oh yeah we'll do some like running joke like it's the end of a sitcom you know we'll take down the set and then turn off the lights and then it's like then i was like well I, obviously i can't do that because that's improv and as you say you can't pre-plan a joke because your partner won't know and so at the end i just I, w- I was hosting solo and as i've done for the last few shows and just said thank you everyone good night and then it's just like i I didn't have the show to plug. I'd got all the plugs out of the way and miraculously somehow in the show had been relevant for me to plug Dr. Goose twice with a wink. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I got to the, the, the thank you very much, good night, and then the, the parentheticals gave me a group hug. Oh. So I was like, yeah, I, I didn't really have a big big ending or a big joke because it's like, didn't want to force it. Mm. Uh, that's nice. I think Bracka Raka will be back. We just need to find... It's hard to find a decent improv space. Even the Dr. Goose one is one we've created. It's a lounge. Uh... It's not a stage. We've, we're the one who make chairs face forward and bought lights uh, to make it improv ready, quote unquote. So it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, the most unusual place I've performed improv this year is improv journeyman Mark Tyndall's wedding. Wow. Yeah. That's you... a callback for long-term listeners. Yeah. Hello, Mark. <laughs> yeah, hello, Mark. Tell and... me about that. Yeah, um, well, he married another improviser, Jen Hunter, who he met. Uh, he was abroad in America. He used to go once a year to Portland, Oregon, and uh, a hideout in Tex, Austin. And uh, he was there because one of our Dr. Goose friends, was uh, Amar, was working there for two years. And so he came to visit as part of his weekly summer to his monthly yearly summer to america uh met this improviser fell off the stage she she made a joke of it in the jam and um yeah then he stayed over for six months and or three months and then yeah it's gonna move over there and has moved over there and so at the wedding which was in this ridiculous manor in craythorn in uh york uh think think um a downton abbey sort of splendor uh that was, I think, in May. And uh, there were a few people who did improv from the Curious Comedy Theatre, I think is the one in Portland, where they're from, and serving as, like, uh, best man, best lady. And uh, there's enough of them to do a four versus four uh, for theatre sports sort of thing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was UK versus US. Uh, Mark and Jen uh, were the compares. And uh, I, there was, like, a large Dr. Goose delegation, obviously. It was... Um, me, Vic, Ed JD, who's left this year and was uh, as a host and was replaced by uh, Monica Galga. Uh, and Maddie was there and Dan was there and I was there. And so, yeah, it was uh, four versus four. And uh, because it they 
improv had been mentioned in the vows, it had been mentioned in the speeches, the rest of the people, like Mark's uh, museum friends or the family friends, and so these are non-improv people, so like to finally see it at the end of the day, it was in place of dancing, which was a bit weird. I like after the dinner, the first dance. Yeah, right. instead of any dancing, apparently they're not big dancers. Yeah, oh, instead, right, the evening entertainment was us, and um, <laughs> and every scene was sort of scored five, because they thought <laughs> it was mainly British people who love everything it's and love. think it's great, yeah, and um, there was a magic to them, obviously, and um, we won by a single point, um, which I think I'd gained in the first round, which was an elimination round. Um, so yeah, I won it for the UK, but it was, you know, it's on home ground, and it's... <laughs> Mark's country and they'd all not seen a lot of improv so still a victory but that's the most unusual place I've performed improv is uh, yeah, po- post-wedding post-wedding dinner in like an English manner fantastic yeah. what's the most helpful or least helpful note that you've ever been given and did you take it uh, we'll just slightly break the question or deviate the best note I've had was after a bracket racket set, our then coach Johnny F. said, "Awesome puppy commitment." Right. I love playing dogs. I love playing animals. That uh, me, Nat Ruginis uh, from Parentacles, we both have that in common. She tends to play silent animals. I tend to play goofy, lovable sidekicks. Who... Do your animals talk? Yes, mine uh, talk. Hers don't usually. UCB would not like that. Well, <laughs> I'm going to write to Bessa and Roberts and Polar and. The other one? <laughs> I did warn you before we started not to list people in an improv group. <laughs> yes, and what I tried to this was one of the most famous groups of all time and schools. Uh, yeah, my animals talk. I my We all have favourite roles in the uh, improdacy format, uh, and mine is Goofy Sidekick, who you're sad who's going to die. Um, yeah. And obviously we don't kill someone every time, but if... If it's me, it's likely I'm cute and adorable and goofy enough. Never stupid, because play to the top of your intelligence, but, you know, the sort of naive, permanently optimistic one who's like, hey, this is fun, isn't it? Oh, let's go into the dark woods. Ah! Uh, yeah. And the and similarly, uh, on a different note, the weirdest feedback I've had from an audience was, um, I, was film- I was recording the f- end of Dead Drone Detective Series 1, this is back in 2016, and I was sat in the audience with my script. Um, I think we were about to start take or mid-take. No, we, we were about to record. And so I had the script ready to give revisions and notes. And can you say this again? And a new audience member next to me said, didn't I see you die in the woods? <laughs> I thought about it. And I realized Ed Fargo was one of our producers at the time. He, at the time, he was still in Giggle Loop. And one of the gigs I played with Duck Duck Tales was a horror movie at Giggle Loop show where I had indeed died in the woods. But without that context, because it wasn't an improv day, <laughs> I was very much thinking of something else. And this stranger says, <laughs> did I see get murdered in the woods? And I had to think for a second and realise what they meant. <laughs> How weird. How weird. So- I, did, I did turn that line into the, the first line of a flash fiction, which is a shorter, a short, short, a even shorter short story. Something right. you write in one burst. Well, it's good to it's good to uh, take those things and then uh, fuel it into your art. Yeah. Um, is it art? What is art? Don't think I'm allowed to ask that question anymore. Apparently, I get into trouble even when other people are mentioned that. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> um, 
So, if someone were to step on stage of you, what could they do to delight you? Uh, well, we actually covered this specifically in Katie Shoots class, and again, it was uh, endow me as an animal. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think. Uh, See, I did not know this about you. I did not know uh, your love of playing animals. Sure. So uh, and uh, Jennifer Courier from uh, Classic Andy, I think, started a scene with "Look, a monkey." <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. Um, I don't mind being picked up. Um, oh yeah, picking up is a weird thing, isn't it? I think you need to establish that before. Uh, yeah. 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 You have to have a talk with your team about consent, and uh, again, covered by Katie's book. Uh, shout out to the Improvisers Way, which is great because I'm Brendan Way, so I, it's, I'm the Improvisers Way. Oh, uh, nice. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See a pun. Yeah. Uh, but good. one I've had time to think about. Um, yeah, I like being picked up. Um, yeah, I like to know what we're doing, but then who doesn't? Like, I like a clear yeah. premise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But you see, not everybody is interested in having a premise-based scene. Depends what you're doing. If it's um, if it's a uh, living room, you do want a clear premise. In narrative, no, you want to play a game and be organic. Fair enough. Right, I'm going to have a new last question. <gasps> so you're not going to ask classic Brendan. <laughs> I imagine it's playing an animal. Uh, no, I was going to say, I'm really good at structure. I always have been uh, in university essays. They were always well-structured, even if there wasn't great original thought or insight. Interesting. And so, in a jam, I and I've got good memory, so I'm really good at callbacks. And <sighs> I usually get the last line in sets, whether it's jam or narrative. And I sometimes try to get it because I really love the grammar of hosting. So I love shouting, and that's our show. That's one of the reasons I love hosting Dr. Goose and Racket Racket is, you know, the set stuff you have to say. I just, when I was, when in university I would pretend to be a Radio 4 presenter when hosting my own panel shows, I'd love to, you know, do the intro jokes and then say, and at the end of that round, and then with Dr. Goose I particularly love saying, uh, we'll have a second jam in the second half, but now here's our second act. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good catchphrase. Yeah. Look out for that, Dr. Goose fans. Okay, new question. I'm well, excited because well, I answered a different question in episode 30, and now we're in the new round of questions. Yes. No. I just I thought it's, it's nice that you've got a uh, it's nice you got a catchphrase, and yeah. it's nice that it's a really helpful catchphrase. Yes. It's like it's like oh I, I don't really know what's going on at the moment. Oh okay, Brendan has now cleared it up with his patent catchphrase. Yeah, and uh, that's another thing about hosting, which is great, but uh, it's like. Uh, but all you need is to be friendly and to give the information. So jokes are a bonus. Yes. So, oh, yeah, yeah. And also, um, I would even actively discourage people from doing jokes hmm. because yeah, we're here for the acts. You yeah. are there to facilitate the acts. Yeah. Uh, I get quite frustrated when people who should know better spend more time... Um, introduce or they spend more time on stage than they need to spend sure yeah get the job done um and then get off yeah and i've had my fair share of tangents with dan who i've worked with forever since uni and then steph who again i've worked with for ages like even we have our great days with tangents and sometimes they go in nowhere and it's like oh we should have wrapped that up a minute and go and introduce <laughs> the act <laughs> i suppose at least you always have the option to go to the act mm. um so uh who, living or dead, that you haven't improvised with, would you like to improvise with? They don't have to be an improviser. They, they might be, that might help, hmm. but they don't have to be. Huh. That is intriguing. 
I mean, well, debt trailing detective is a great way for me to work with people who I don't necessarily think I will end up in projects with. Um, just because they're in different circles or different skill levels. Um, gosh, I probably shouldn't say anyone in the circuit just because I see everyone through Duck, Duck, Goose and people will get offended if I don't pick them. Um, but even that's interesting. I've learned something about you through that. Yeah, it's 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 hard because yeah, I still want to be friends with everyone in the circuit, but when they're on our night, I'm not. I'm I'm in a position of power, not a lot of power, but I'm still in charge of them with the other six. So I'm so it's hard for me to relax because I know I've got several things to do so as much as I'd love to spend time talking to all our regulars all the new people and say how are you what do you do I've got stuff to do yes I've noticed this uh people are sort of they're going to show mode and mm. I know you know in other circumstances they'd be free to chat but I know they've got work to do so I always try and give them a bit of space yeah and I'm show. usually carrying a, a, a notebook and pen because I'm so I look like Scooter from the Muppets trying to wrangle everyone. Um, that's because uh, I'm going to write some quotes down that we can use in the email. Uh, to answer your question, uh, Michael Keegan, Keegan Michael Key from Key and Peel. He seems high energy. He's a lot of fun. He'd probably steal a lot of the scenes, but that would be great. And also, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to improvise with Faye and Polar? That would be strong choices all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, UCB obviously did the uh, Dell Close Marathon 20th anniversary, so they they don't do it regularly, but well, I don't think Polar does. But yeah, that would be great. That would be a fun time. Fantastic. Do you have things you wish to plug? Yes, the Christmas show, um, our Christmas quests, uh, the Parentheticals Merry Questmas is at the Etc. Theatre. Uh, I understood that. That's great. a pun. It's, it's sort really, of a pun. Yeah, it's a half pun. Our WhatsApp chat had many different ideas, um, none of which I can remember at the moment, but like they wanted to call it, and I vetoed this because it makes no sense, it was like they wanted a pun on parentheticals, like parentestivals, which is a pun I've made, but it's like we're not famous enough for people to know what that's a pun on, and it's already a tricky name, and, we all, and our show titles are always group name, show name, so that would be weird that the pun is then in the group name. So yeah, the parenthetical is Merry Christmas, uh, December the 11th. That's a Tuesday, December the 12th. That's a Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m. The Etc. Theatre tickets are on now. That's an hour of improv. It will definitely include statues. It will probably include some games we've not done before. And you, as I said, you get to interact with the show throughout. So it's not just one prompt and you sit back. We get you involved throughout the whole show. So that will be really fun and it's the best dilution of uh, our act so far cool and where can people find dead drunk detective uh soundcloud uh, dot com slash dead drunk pod that's a, also the twitter handle and it's on podcast pioneers it's my producer's website uh podcast pioneers.com and itunes fantastic thank you for being a guest on the improv london podcast thank you for having me and your new question <laughs> i made this That's improv! <laughs> <laughs>